You're listening to Marie Claire Future Shapers Live in partnership with Neutrogena. Diverse businesses with, you know, not across the board, but at the senior level, make more money. In the last 30 years, the world of work has changed and evolved in enormous ways. But how will things change in the future? And what's the best way to equip ourselves for these changes? With answers to these questions are Sarah Allen, CEO and founder of executive recruitment agency Further and More, Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom, and Worldwide Communications and Image Director at Remy Cointreau, Maud Rubin. Chairing this panel is Marie Claire's Features Director, Andrea Thompson. Hello everybody and welcome to this session which is all about the future of work. I'm Andrea Thompson and I'm Features Director at Marie Claire and today I'm going to be speaking to women from three diverse careers about what we can expect from the next 20-30 years and a little bit talking to them a little bit about where they've come from in their careers as well. Our careers are changing, so how can you ensure you remain relevant and resilient in an ever-evolving market? In this session, we'll explore how the world of work has evolved over the past 30 years and look at the future of our workplaces and practices to evaluate the skill set you need to stay ahead of the game and succeed in decades to come. Our panellists include <clears throat> CEO and founder, Executive Recruitment Agency Further and More, that's Sarah Allen, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom, Sue Uniman, and Worldwide Communications and Image Director at Remy Cointreau, Maud Rubin. First up, we have Sue. In the rapidly changing world of media, Sue has been ahead of the curve for three decades and remains at the forefront of the industry's evolution. Sue has consistently moved Mediacom forward ahead of the competition, a crucial factor in its rise to become the number one company in its sector. Sue has been named by Campaign Magazine as the top planner of the year on more occasions than any other individual and is the current holder of the title. Her book last year, The Glass Wall, about women in the workplace, was a significant addition to the debate on gender diversity at work. Next up, we have Sarah Allen. She is the founder and CEO of Further and More, a company that connects ambitious employees who want to job share with top companies recruiting for qualified staff. She describes herself as on a mission to make job sharing business as usual. Before setting up Further and More, Sarah was a senior civil servant working in the Cabinet Office and for a range of senior ministers and the Cabinet Secretary. In fact, she started working in his office on the day of the 2010 election and watched the joint Clegg and Cameron press conference from his window overlooking number 10. And at the end, we have Maud. Maud is the Worldwide Image and Communications Director at Remy Cointreau. Maud spent her childhood playing in the vineyards of the Loire Valley where her grandfather crafted local brand wine. It was through his example that she understood how to translate hard work and an entrepreneurial mindset into a brand that people love. At six years old, she began cutting pictures from her grandmother's Vogue to make mood boards that told stories through images. When her aunt told her that this could actually be a career in image marketing, her path in life was set. And from this, she developed her ethos of using creativity to make her dreams come true. Today, 
Maud works for the leading drinks brand Remy Cointreau, where she has been fortunate to shepherd the Cointreau brand from a forgotten cocktail ingredient to a beloved brand through initiatives such as the Cointreau Creative Crew and the ethical project One Orange, One Tree, which have caused consumers worldwide to see the brand in a different light. So please put your hands together and welcome them all here today. I'm going to start off by um, speaking to Sue, um, who has recently released a book about the glass ceiling at work. And I think we've all... Uh, sorry, the glass wall at well, work. that's part <laughs> yeah, of the whole thing, isn't it? it? Yeah. Um, and I think we've all sort of heard about the glass ceiling, but mm. her book focuses on the idea of a glass wall that separates men and women, which stops them communicating in the right way mm. and actually holds women back at work. Mm. So I wondered if you could just sort of talk us through the concept and how you've seen this played out mm. in your own career. Yeah. Well, when I started in advertising, which was 30 years ago, obviously as a child, clearly. I was <laughs> so young. Um, there was, I had a woman as my first boss. There was a woman prime minister then, because it was so long ago. And it was obvious to me that within the next four, five, six years, every other boss would be a woman. And then you turn around and you look at what's going on out there in all of our industries, I'm sure, in law, in politics, around the world, and that's just not the case. Now, at Mediacom, when I came to write the book, it was quite different. Um, the business at the time was led by Karen Blackett uh, OB, who is now our chair, and my MD was Claudine, um, still is. Uh, Jane was uh, then chair. Josh was our COO. He's now my COO, and I was chief strategy officer then. So four out of the top five client-facing people were women, and um, three out of the four of us were working part-time. And I just had this moment, I'm actually prompted by one of, my, one of my colleagues, where I thought, why isn't it like that everywhere else? Particularly because we hadn't really done much specifically. We hadn't had women programs at Mediacom. But it's not possible that all the talented women in media happen to have rocked up at the Buzz Road. So I went to my um, friend, a uh, long-time friend, Catherine Jacob, who's CEO of Pearl and Dean, and I said, let's write a book about it. And from that, The Glass Wall was born. So we did... Um, over 100 interviews, and then we had some quant research, thanks to our friends at Lightspeed, looking into the reasons why why 50% of CEOs and MDs are not women. And we came up with this concept of the glass wall. So the thing about the glass ceiling is, is that it implies that you only hit it when you get to the top of your career. So, oh my goodness, Hillary Clinton, she's, she, she didn't smash the glass ceiling. The glass wall hits women, could be the first month they work in their first job. It's an invisible barrier that either comes down because of the culture of the organization, so the meetings you might get missed out on, you get the, uh, the email trail that you suddenly fall off, the fact that the predominant senior management is a boys club and you just don't fit into it, you're different in any way. But sometimes the glass wall is the thing that we pull down in front of ourselves when we're in a situation at work where the banter takes just that slightly unpleasant turn. And I think we all deal with this day in, day out, even in the best sorts of organisations. And what happens is you sort of withdraw from it because you can't... Well, have I got to mention it again? Have I got to say again I don't find that OK? Have I got to be the one who looks like she hasn't got a sense of humour again? So you sort of withdraw from it. But all your boss sees is that you're withdrawing, not that that's why. So there's a lot of businesses that don't understand why they're losing talented women that they've invested in 
from those top jobs. And our view is, is to do with the culture of the organisation and businesses need to address that because a successful business will make itself more successful by doing so and having more diversity. There's loads of stats on that. But secondly, you've got to be pragmatic. So the book is, we've coined the term we think pragmatic feminism. We don't say you should do this. We certainly don't say you've got to work harder because that myth, let me tell you, has been around for 30 years. If you just work really, really hard, someone will notice you and reward you. I haven't noticed any men working any harder, by the way, for the last 30 years. <laughs> doesn't seem to have been a problem for them. It's about working smarter. It's about taking shortcuts. It's about finding a way to show off more, stand up for yourself more. Can you give us a couple of examples of that, in, you know, that, that take out that you know, the audience can use? How can we, as women, make our workplaces tap in more to the, our values? Yeah. yeah, and I think the answer is, is that... OK, so one of the common questions is, uh, I get talked over in meetings. So a lot of women ask us this. And we've got, actually, a selection of answers. So there's no point in going, it's not fair men should listen to us more because that's, that, that's a lovely idea, isn't it? Um, there are a number of things that you can do. So, for example, one of the case studies in the book is a woman who was constantly being talked over by... Uh, there was a very senior meeting, two men, uh, three men and, and her, and she went to the, the boss outside of the meeting and she said to him, I wonder if you could help me. Um, I've noticed that I don't seem to get my point across very well. Um, have you got any tips or tactics as to how I could do it better? The very next meeting, he said, OK, boys, we've heard enough from you. Now let's hear from this woman. So taking outside. There's the Obama White House. Do you remember the Obama administration now? The Obama White House <laughs> tactic, oh, I feel so long ago, of um, the women speaking up for each other. So if there were two of them in a room and they thought one of them was being spoken over, the other one would say, hang on a second, because uh, actually uh, Andrew's just said something really important, so could you just listen to that? It's easier to, do, it's, it's easier to play a wingman mm. than it is to... Because when you say it for yourself, you do that thing where you get all really angry and your voice goes up quite a lot and you get really... And sometimes you get tearful and you speak really quickly. And that doesn't help. So breathing and getting someone to speak up for you. And there's a top tip that um, actually isn't in the book, but this is my uh, co-author's favourite tip, is that if you do get yourself to the point of tears because you're so cross, and, you know, anger's a good thing, use the anger, she says, um, silently whistle. Because apparently if you whistle, you put your hand over your face, you can't cry. So it's a... But, but so, so, just as an aside, but I'd say... Finding a way to speak up is really important and try and depersonalise the situation. So when you feel you're up against something, almost take yourself out of it and say, what would, I, what would my advice be to Sue if she came to me and said, what was that problem? Because again, we're much better at giving each other advice than we are taking it ourselves. Just before we move on um, to our next guest, I just wanted to ask you a little bit, because you've just got such experience in the whole industry, what, what do you think people could do to equip themselves in terms of skills for the changing way, you know, the way that our workplaces are changing? What kind of things can they do to future-proof their careers? I think um, adopting agility is my big, absolute big thing. So 
Many of us come from work situations where we have been trained to stick to long-winded processes. The world of work is changing much too fast for that now. And indeed, in our industry, I think there's a big change still coming this year for, because, because the robots are finally making themselves useful. They're still not emptying my dishwasher. <laughs> work, they're making themselves useful. And um, I think understanding agile practices and agile business practices, there's a lot of literature on it, that, um, or you can kind of Google stuff and Google talks. I think that's really, really important. But overridingly, and I know that's kind of one of your themes for today, mm. be resilient. And learning about resilience and whatever that means for you, whether that's, you know, mindfulness and meditation, which, I mean, I certainly, I meditate every day, have done for a long time now. It makes a big, big difference if you're not doing it. Could not recommend it more highly. But also keep a sense of humour, keep perspective, keep, keep a sense of humour. I mean, sometimes it feels like the most awful things are happening to us. But actually, you know what? It's not that bad. Okay, thank you. Sarah, moving on to you, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how your business came to be set up because yeah. you had a career in politics, you were very successful, mm -hmm. and it was the pressure of juggling that when you started a family that, 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 that inspired you to go a different path. Yeah. And the path that you went into is very much, you know, taps into what's happening in the market. Yeah. And can you just talk us through your career journey? Yeah, of course. Um, actually, I had a, um, a slightly obscure um, career journey because I had my first daughter when I was was quite young and so it was kind of um, knocked off my original um, academic path. But I think that made me... Um, that work when you're a single mum is very significant, right? There is, there is no other... There's no other... No one else um, supporting you. And so... Um, and so when I finally joined the civil service and kind of was, you know, promoted quite quickly, um, it felt very, it felt a very big part of my identity, and um, and and I put a lot into it, as you know, as we all do. And then I had another another child, and at that point, you know, you kind of reach a tipping point, right? I was relatively senior. The last job I was doing was um, had a lot of um, number ten oversight, and it just wasn't possible to do anything less than. Full, you know, full time, really, um, and and that just felt it felt wrong. It felt like all of the balance was wrong, um, and I didn't know how to make it better because it was clear to me that the job couldn't be done part time, um, and I, I tried, but you know, it was kind of instinctively obvious that that was the case, um, and and I had job shared earlier on in my career, and when I shared, I was with someone who was incredibly detail-oriented, who knew the rules, who loved planning, and in contrast, I like big ideas and thinking things through and changing, um, changing projects, and it was the most fulfilling time that I'd ever had, um, and I was kind of pondering, I used to go for walks around St. James's Park, and I was pondering, and I just thought, this, this feels like a really interesting solution to a problem that I know so many people are, are facing, and and actually, I didn't really do much market research when I left because I couldn't remember the last chat at the school gates or in the playground or over drinks when, when someone didn't say some version of the same thing. Right? How do I make all the parts of my life fit together? I, I'm incredibly highly trained. I got a, you know, a great degree. Um, I could see a kind of an amazing career path ahead of me. And I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Um, and actually, subsequently, um, I left and set up further and more. So we... Uh, the, all we do is make job sharing work um, and we get emails dozens of emails every week 
um, from people saying the same thing. One of three things, really. Either they're working full-time and they don't know how to make the parts of their life fit together, or they've gone part-time and either downgraded to do that, or they just get the crappy jobs, um, or they've left work altogether. And, of course, there are lots of people that are very happy with their work pattern. But, actually, we get so many emails. It feels... What I thought was a problem feels like an epidemic, actually. Um, and, and a sense... I suppose the reason that I think job sharing resolves that is I don't really think that job sharing is part-time or flexible. I think it's agile for the people that are doing it, but for everybody else around them, their team and their manager and their clients and their stakeholders, everybody else gets a full-time service. And, and I think there's a huge pot of jobs that can only be done full-time. And, and, you know, and some people are doing them part-time and still taking calls in the playground on Friday. Um, and I think there is a huge tranche of extraordinarily talented, highly trained, brilliant people who don't want to work full-time. And I think job sharing is the only way of resolving that tension. Um, so do you think that employers are waking up to the fact that they have to change? Yeah, traditional business practices, yeah. or, or do you still find a lot of resistance? Because, I mean, obviously no. there's a huge wealth of talent, as you say, being yeah. wasted, um, you know, if, if, if they're not adapting. Yeah. But, I mean, is there evidence that things are changing and becoming...? We're, so we're finding that they're changing. Um, most of the employers that we talk to are, are big multinationals, um, and we learned quite early on that if you have a kind of conversation at a sort of mid-ranking HR level, you tend not to get anywhere because it feels scary and they're very risk-averse. But actually, when we talk to the most senior people, board-level people in the organisation, we're pushing against an open door. And I think that they, you know, partly that's because people just see that it's right that we all have equal access to work and to be able to contribute to society in that way. But also there's just a really clear bottom line. Diverse businesses with, you know, not across the board, but at the senior level, make more money. Um, plus, you know, if you employ someone, you employ a graduate, and then they um, walk out the door at, say, 35 or whatever, all of that knowledge, all of that training walks out the door as well. And it costs them nearly a year's salary, just, just the act of replacing that person. So I think that they are um, kind of acutely aware of the kind of costs, literal and opportunity, when, when people leave. And I think they're also aware that there's a huge pool of talent that other employers aren't tapping into. And, and that actually there's a, a kind of market edge that's available to them. And, and actually that's really important. We did a survey... Um, about a year ago, and we asked of you know of this group of people who were interested in job sharing, what are the barriers to doing that? And the, the strongest message was, we think that employers will perceive our employer will perceive our commitment to our role differently if we express a desire to job share. And so it's really great that we get strong messages from a senior level in an organisation because if they say that um, and make that message really clear and make it really possible to job share then that door, you know, that door will be opening. It'd be interesting to know, actually, of the people here that um, are, are working, and, and, if, and if you're not doing your ideal job, imagine your ideal job, if you could do the job that you're doing um, and you could continue on the career trajectory that you're on, how many of you would, would reduce your hours and work, a, say, a three-day week in comparison to a five-day Okay, so it's, it's usually about 70% of people. Mm. So. What can people do? I mean, you're at the forefront of, yeah. of recruitment. What can these women do to make sure that they are skilled up yeah. and employable for the future if they are thinking about making that kind of move? Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously there's, you know, 
um, agile thinking and there's lots of stuff around tech and so on. But actually, I think the um, the biggest issue is about um, is about self and and resilience. So. Um, um, and there are some quite specific skills that you can go and learn. For example, negotiation. 7% of women negotiate their salary. 57% of men negotiate. If you'd negotiated your first salary and got it up in your very first job over the course of a kind of relatively, you know, a sort of senior, a career, a senior career, you would lose... Um, you will have lost about a million pounds, <laughs> somewhere between half and a million, right? It's this huge amount of money. Now, negotiation is a skill. No one, very few people are born with that skill, but you can go and learn it. And then you can use it when you're negotiating salary. You can learn it, use it when you're negotiating your career remit. Um, you know, you can use it in, in day-to-day meetings. So you can actively go out and skill yourself. Um, Women are terrible at um, nego- or, um, articulating their, their own skills. We, we see it all the time. Someone will go, oh, you're brilliant at that. No, no, I'm, I'm not. It's not, you know. It's, that's just what we do, right? So we run um, skills mapping workshops. And we get our... And so you can just do this for yourself. We, all, the, all the participants email at least five people in their network and ask them to articulate five things that they think you do well. And then we bring people together and we pair them up. So you have written, uh, written evidence that other, of things that other people think you do really well and someone else holding you to account and not letting you off the hook when you go, well, they say I'm good at Excel, but I'm not really. Mm-hmm. And, we, and people create skills maps. And that's really important, right? Because you need to know what you're good at and you need to be able to articulate that. So, so it's around you know, actively going out and seeking those those skills and being able to say this is what I'm good at this is my value and 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 sort of weaving that into your your kind of day-to-day business um and the other thing is to um make sure that you um have a mentor um there will be someone else in your network who's a bit more senior than you that has had some of the challenges that you have and and they will help you find the right path for you so you know, don't isolate yourself. Build the, build really important critical relationships, and then and then reciprocate because there'll be someone more junior than you that's following the path that you're on. So, yeah, but be really proactive about that stuff because it you know it's all it can all be done. Thank you. Maud, moving on, mm-hmm. um, you've sort of climbed the corporate ladder in France in a very masculine industry, drinks and and spirits in particular. Um, what do you think's made you stand out, and you know what kind of advice can you impart to our audience today? So Mandela said, uh, "The winner is a dreamer who will never give up." So this is ticked in the mach- in the coffee machine, you know. Every morning at seven a.m., say, "Yeah, I'm a dreamer, and I will win." You know, I will never give up, and um, this is very important for me. Everything comes with a dream first, and if you dare to make it uh, come true, it will. So this helped me a lot because in the industry and um, it's um, very masculine. Even if it becomes, you know, more and more feminine, we have a proof here with Eleonore, who is a marketing director of the group here in UK. Uh, it it costs us a lot. Uh, it uh, has, you know, many much more efforts <coughs> to make people understand that we we are like men, you know, and we can do exactly the same. We we can have a um, a lot of um, success and we have a lot uh, we did a lot of things with Eleonore in UK we, we created this program Cointreau Creative Crew 
which help women to make their dream come true. So we, uh, we uh, built some program to offer grants to women to offer uh, visibility when you are a fashion designer at Liberty Department Store. And, um, and this to show people that uh, um, you have to dare in yourself first. It's a question of self-esteem. And never, you know, let people tell you that uh, you are women. So, no. Um, when I began at René Cointreau, my first boss, so it was uh, um, second, the, the, the second year after, you know, I began at, uh, at this group, which is a wonderful group. I, had, I outperformed my year, so I, I did exactly what you, what you said. So it was my evaluation. I was so, you know, um, so proud of myself. So I need, you know, to, for you to increase my salary. And I need to have the, the most important part of the bonus, you know, with, with all I did. And he said, it would be impossible for me uh, to ask this to the CEO of the company. I said, why? Because uh, it's because I am a woman. Because if I had been a man, if it, it would have been you know, easier for you to do so? Yeah. OK. So you know what? Next year, this is a challenge. You know? Next year, I will, be, I will do you know, more. And at the end, I will have you know, this fucking big <laughs> Because I have a family, you know, I have two daughters, so I want to show them that being a woman is very important and, uh, and we can lead everything, you know. And um, the year after, I, I uh, earned it, you know, I, um, he, he gave me the, the maximum note, you say, okay, so you, give, you gave me a listen. And uh, this, for me, was much more important giving him a listen than uh, earning more money mm. because this makes make things change, you know. So um, even if it's uh, in this industry, and we are very lucky with Eleanor because we're, uh, the CEO of the company is a woman, it's very important for us because she's inspired and she's inspiring us. And we need to inspire people, you know. So you need to, to, to dream and you need to believe in your dream and you need to be creative. We are all creative. And it's all about daring, you know. Dare to, to be uh, yourself and have, to, and have the elegance to be yourself. This is a, the first thing for me which is very, very important. And I teach my girls, my daughters every day, believe in yourself, trust in you, and um, you will see, you, know, you will succeed in your life and you'll be, you will be just happy for you. And uh, so I think that this will help us, but you know, I've, um, I don't know if you have seen that movie, Hidden Figures. It was, uh, that movie, you know, was very important for me. And I, and I came twice at cinema to bring in my daughter. She's only nine, so she didn't uh, learn at school, you know, the, the, the racism and the thing between black and white. But it was, you know, the, the first point was the racism, and the second one was being a woman because it was in 1961, but today we are in 2017, and to be honest, it's, it's still, no, we still have a lot to do. So, so it's a question of uh, every day making more efforts, but it's like this, and, uh, and I think that uh, a lot of men you know, understood that we are equal, and, uh, and uh, the French 
the president is a good example, you know, he, he puts the parity. So we have a, a half women, half men mm. uh, leading the, the country. And this, I hope, will change, you know, the way of thinking and uh, trust in you. This is the first thing. Mm. Mm. You talked a little bit about vision, being a visionary and living your dreams and gut instinct. Can it be difficult sort of bringing somebody over to, to, to that way of thinking within an organisation where people are set? And how, as a woman, are you able to persuade people, that, I mean, you know, your team, people on your team, to perhaps yeah. work in that way? Yeah. yeah, it's a traditional industry, so... And, uh, you know, with the, the world is changing since the digital appeared many, many years ago. The communication is completely different. So um, you have to, to, as a woman, I think we have two gifts from God. The first one is to give the birth, uh, which is an act of creation, an act of love. And the second one is a sixth sense. I don't know if it's uh, the way to, to tell it in, uh, in English. Your intuition. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to follow your instinct because we have to create our own path. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I hire someone uh, in my team, um, even if it's for, for example, the digital guy we have, the digital director, uh, is a financial guy. But his patient is, uh, is uh, working on website, uh, uh, thinking out of, the, out of the box. And for me, this is the main point, thinking out of the box, to be different, to be unique, mm -hmm and um, to, to be just like, you know, avant-garde and um, making things, you know, more sparkling mm. so, and mm. unexpected. Mm. So it's very important for me to, to let people express that they, they are all different. This, the difference is something we are all in, in common mm. and uh, trust their instinct, follow their intuition and... Uh, and, and specifically avoid fear because uh, the fear is the worst thing, you know. Mm, uh, yeah. We can all follow your instinct or our instinct, but sometimes say, oh, no, 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 I think it's a good idea, but maybe it's, uh, I will, uh, I will mm. do the wrong, um, I will go the wrong way. And the wrong way is the fear mm. because the first thing was, no, no, you, you thought it was a good. Mm. Uh, the good thing to, to do. So I think that's a, like a really important point because I mean, I mean, the theme of the conference here today is about conquering fear and picking yourself back up when things have gone wrong. And it'd be really good to hear from women such as yourselves about how you do that um, because you know, um, keeping the momentum going in your career means suffering setbacks on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And it can be the difference between being successful and not mm -hmm. being successful. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Sue, pra in, 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 in practice, what do you, I mean, how I, do you I, pick yourself back I up? I think that's really interesting because the, the key point there about your story about the bonus is mm. that you fought back. Mm. You didn't go and get a job somewhere else. Mm. You didn't mm. go, oh, well, fair enough. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you fought back. I mean, I, I, there was a point in my career where um, uh, the company was, uh, it was a smaller company that I was working for, and my boss was the head of planning. And I was an associate director. I was the most senior woman in the business. And he took me aside at the end of the year, one year, and he said, um, of course, you're never going to be a director. You're never going to be on the board of this company because there's only room for one director of planning, and that's me. So, Now, quite what he thought his motivational <laughs> story was there, I don't know. But I did think about it quite, you know, in retrospect afterwards. I mean, what I, what I did, I mean, I, surely I should have looked for another job. 
surely I should have just thought, well, what's the point? But I didn't. I thought, well, I'm going to show you. Mm. I mean, the same thing, I'm going to show you. Mm. And I think it's, it don't, sometimes that feels not very ladylike, I think. So mm. I wonder, you know, it's, it's, is that a likeable thing? Is that an attractive thing that I thought, I'm going to show you? But <laughs> I think that's, it. That's, what we need to, um, that's what we need to um, access. And there's one of the, head, one of the headlines in the, in the introduction to the book where we go, you know what? Men relish their inner bastard. Women hide their inner bitch. Okay? Mm. Um, and she's a great resource. Go to her and go, what would you do? Because it's that fight. It's that fight. It's mm. the, so you think we need to get back to the 80s, that whole power bitch thing, well, or is that a bit too simplistic? I, I, we need to just embrace it. I think it we just need to embrace it. One of, the, one of the women we interviewed for the book, she's got a boy children and a girl children. I have two beautiful, wonderful daughters, one of whose here today. But um, uh, she's got one of, one of each. And she was saying, it's, you know, it starts in the playground. Little boys knock each other down and get back up again. That is not how little girls play. Little girls go... I've had a turn now, sir, it's your turn. And then you go, no, it's, it's your turn now, Sue. And it's all very lovely, but it's different. And she said to me, how many men do you know who would genuinely ask 10 people out? And if the 10th one says yes, they're just thrilled. <laughs> how many women, how many women here know women that have, that have had received nine no's and kept on to the 10th? It's like, you ask someone, they say no, and you go... Okay, good, because I've got a big pot of ice cream. I mean, it's just... <laughs> so we need to go back, pick ourselves up, and go and fight. Because you know what? A no to a pay rise, to a promotion, to a bonus doesn't, doesn't hurt you. Taking it is mm. the thing that diminishes you, mm, mm. not fighting it. Mm. What's the worst that can happen? A bit of embarrassment? Mm. Sarah, setbacks and uh, getting over them? Yeah, so I... I think it, for me it comes back to that kind of mentor and relationships point, which is that um, in every setback there is a lesson yeah. um, and there is a kind of a next steps plan. And I think having that trusted circle of people who might be peers or might be more senior than you to help you interrogate that is really important. But I think there's a, a reciprocity to that, right, which is celebrate your successes um, because we never do it. We never do it. And it's and it's crazy because when something great happens, we feel abashed. We, um, you know, we think, okay, well, that's great, but actually it could be better or let's go on to the next one. And actually, you have to have a degree of balance because things will go wrong and be tricky and shitty, um, but things will be brilliant too. And, yeah. and it's, we need to be able to start saying those things. And, and, and so I think it's that. I think it's the group of people around you that enable you to say when something has gone really well and support you and help you to find the path forward when something hasn't happened. Can I, can I just say one of my... So Catherine, she's got a number of mentees. I agree with you, the mentor-mentee and the reverse ment mentor. Mm. What you learn from your mentees is brilliant. But one of her mentees, she regularly texts because she puts herself down so so much that Catherine's got to the point where she can't stand it. So she just, every, every now and then, she just randomly sends her a text saying, you're amazing and you've done a really good job today. <laughs> it's kind of like, should we just all do that for each other? We just have great. a big exchange. Because it's, 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 you know, we, we, do, we all do that, don't we? We go, well, yeah, so it was okay. It was okay. We, I really succeeded there, but it could have been better, couldn't it? We like, no, you, you were brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Are there moments where you've sort of, your career has taken a bit of a knock in some way or you've taken a knock and you've managed to come back and, and, and be more resilient and stronger and 
But it happens uh, every day. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> and the thing is, how do you transform, you know, um, which can be perceived as, as negative things into positive things? Yes. Yeah. So it's always, you know, happening. So it's being um, agile, as you said. So it happened uh, so many, many times, you know, um, even last year before. Um, or event with Eleonore at Liberty, and where you were, you know, um, carving uh, with Marie-Claire. We, in that program, you know, Cointreau Creative Crew, the thing is we involved a lot of um, famous people, uh, such as Ivan Longoria, um, the CEO of Liberty, uh, Charlie Winston, and uh, Singer, and, and some others. And, um, and just two weeks before the big event where we were supposed to offer a grant, uh, one famous, very famous here actress had to come and uh, she decided not because she had something else and it was uh, very hard I said, oh my god no, it, uh, it, uh, one week left, how do I do you know, because it's very important to involve famous people who decided to follow their dreams so they are famous but they were not famous at all at the beginning you know. so it's like mentor and believing in their dream and I say, okay, if she doesn't come, there is a reason, and I, I will uh, have to, to pick someone uh, new, uh, which is very hard because when we are a brand, famous people, you know, we, we call it manager, so manager means check. Mm -hmm. And the concept of Contro Creative Crew is being involved for free. Um, so we say, well, one week left, uh, how do I do, you know, I, it's in London, I don't know anyone. And we finally found someone, you know, and it was great, it was really cool, and uh, Naomi Harris, and they were, you know, it was a true, beautiful story. But believe me, in that one week, I had all the management of Rémi Contro. They say, okay, you have a big event at Liberty one week, how do you do? Because uh, you have to postpone it. If you have no one famous coming in your party... So it's about just keeping that vision and... Yeah believing that you can do it. Yeah, and uh, we found uh, Naomi and uh, Lily Cole, they said yes the day before. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you just have to, to believe in yourself and what the gut feeling you know says that you will have the people, so yeah. never give up. And we, it was a big success, you, you, you saw by yourself. Yes, but yeah. Every day, you know, it's... Um, so it was an example with uh, celebrity, you know, to make this program happen, but... It can be personal as well, and sometimes it's very tough, but uh, uh, you have to always think that tough things can uh, be a challenge, and you can transform it uh, as a listen for yourself and uh, the people who are surrounding you, you know. So one day, you know, someone told me that in life there is, there is no obstacles, it's only enigmas. And this changed my mind. You know? There's no... No obstacles. 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 Mm. It's things uh, we can call enigmas, enigmas. which is yeah. different. Mm. So, and this changed my uh, perception of life. So when something bad uh, appears to me, say, I breathe, as you, you did, you know, I am um, kind of meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, I say, no, no, no. In uh, one week, I will uh, do what you said. It will be a success. I'm amazing. <laughs> and I transform the things. So sometimes it works, mm. sometimes not. Yeah. But at the end, we find a way to make this thing, you know, a positive thing for you. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you all very much. We're going to open it to the floor now for questions. So if anybody wants to ask our panellists any questions, please raise your hand. Attitudes of, of men, and, and maybe the attitudes, the attitudes they portray, what they're really thinking, the rationalities, the way that they've changed over 30 years, and, and therefore the, the tactics to tackle it that you have to employ have changed. I'd like to think they've moved on a bit, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'd like to think that as well. I think some men's attitudes have changed. I think the thing is, is that 30 years ago, it's not as though, you know, it's not as though I was brought up to think I was supposed to be in the kitchen. You know, this was, this was punk 30 years ago and, you know, just after punk, post-punk. And like I said, it was one of the prime ministers. So I, I think the thing that we perhaps don't get is that men want to be the most powerful person in the room. And they do it to each other as well. And we tend not to do it. So we tend not to walk into rooms at work and think, right, how am I, how am I much better than everyone else? You're probably thinking, if you, you probably, I'm more likely to be thinking, how do we solve this problem or how do we get the best out of everybody? And I think the mistake almost that a lot of women make is to let that, just that bit of alphaness that's going on that they do to each other the whole time. So, so a bloke will walk into a room and he'll instantly sum up all the other blokes in there. He'll go, OK, he's the posh one. That's how I'll make a joke about him. He's the uh, tall one, lanky one. He's the, you know, the ginger one. You know, they'll be the northern one. That... And then the woman appears, a little bit, you know, intimidated even. It's like, oh, I can't do... And then and it's, oh, she's the woman. And, that, and that's it. And that's, that's the best they can do. And the strength is to go, yeah, yeah, that's right, I'm the woman. Right, so we'll get some things done now. And I think owning that... And um, there's a, a dear friend of mine, a guy called Dave Trott, who's a creative director, and he said he told his daughter when she went to work in the, in the slightly daunting world of advertising, because there's very few in the creative department, I think just 3% of creative directors in, in London agencies are women. Maybe slightly more than that now. No, Maybe. Has it reached? Has it, right, yeah, so I was going to say it might have reached four. <laughs> no. oh, right, 3%. Right, 80% right, of adverts are targeted at women. 3% of them. Anyway, so when she went to work, that's unbelievable. Whole other, it's a whole other yeah. panel. When she went to work there, he said to her, the thing you need to understand about work, he said, is that men insult each other all the time, but they don't mean it. And women compliment each other all the time, but they don't mean it. Now, <laughs> I like to think that's not quite so true, but I think that thing of there being uh, put-downs, you know, you've got a choice. You can go, I don't like this, so I'll go and set up for myself and do something else. You can go... I don't like this culture, I'll find a culture that better suits me. And as you said, there is statistic after statistic that shows that the businesses that create the good, a good culture for diversity of all kinds at the senior level are more profitable. So, I mean, that's not because it's nice. That's, I think there's a Grant Thornton bit of research that says mixed boards versus men-only boards in the US, uh, India and Russia $655 billion more profitable. Mm, right? yeah. So it's, it, it's, 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 fa yeah. it's fact. So is it in about inhabiting some of those male traits and le or just letting them I roll off you? I think, I think you can choose. And mm. I think some days it might depend what mood you're in. I think it's about creating a brand for yourself. <laughs> so brand you and then sticking to that. And, you know, I think flex it. I mean, there's a, 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 a lot of 
personas that you can take up. It's very important to be authentic, but being authentic doesn't have to be a narrow thing. I mean, I kind of like a bit of reinvention. It's quite playful. Mm, it's, mm. it's a, you know, when I take a, a, new, a new job, I very often sort of think to myself, okay, this may seem shallow, new wardrobe. What would a chief transformation officer wear? You know? <laughs> I think it's a, there's, a, there's a way of flexing it and playing with it. Mm. The point is, is just almost, just don't, don't let it get to you. That's really what I'm saying, which is back to the resilience mm. point. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that's right. Yes. Um, do you think as you progress in your career, it gets a bit easier to sort of deflect things? Because I've had people say to me, mm. you just graduated, is this your first job? And I'm a senior manager, and you sort of think, well, no, I'm not. And you try to, you know, just bath back. But is there anything you can do that sort of can just, just be confident and maintains, or what do you think has worked in your experience? Well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I could quickly just say, because mm. I've had a, have hogged, I don't want to hog the answers, but um, have some banter back. This is, this is exactly mm. what I was talking mm. about. So whoever's saying that to you, they're just saying, how do I put that person mm. down? It is not about you. Do, do you do you know what I mean about the difference? So they are trying to make themselves exactly it. So uh, you could say, I mean, it could be that you, you come up with a joke. You kind of kind of go, um, yeah, you 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 coming into pension age, are you? I mean, it's just you know. <laughs> what would you advise? I think that's exactly right, but. No, I don't think it. No, I don't think it gets easier. It might get marginal. No, it doesn't subtle. get easier. <laughs> but it just gets a bit more. It gets a bit more subtle. Um, I think there is something around. Um, I think there's something around this kind of skills articulation piece, which which may resonate. So um, I, often the the kind of the equivalent that I would get is you're a parent, right? You're yeah. you're not here because you're a parent. Um, and it took me a while to realise that actually that's just a whole other set of skills that other people that weren't didn't have. And so, um, and once you start framing things in that way and recognising the benefits of the moment that you're in and then how to, le- how to leverage that. So if you've just graduated, then the chances are you're up to date with the most recent methodologies, you're all over the tech, right? Yeah. If you're a parent, say, say for example, hypothetically you were in the civil service and worked for a senior minister who was kind of arguably quite childlike and you had a toddler at home. <laughs> <laughs> some reciprocity in those skill sets and I think and think looking for those and then kind of you know owning them and wearing them is really important yeah. but. Mm-hmm. any more questions yes I have a question oh first of all very inspiring conversation thank you oh thank you um, we talk a lot about how we can have banter back and you mm. know how we can defend ourselves and that's absolutely the right thing but we sometimes screw up mm-hmm. could you give an example where you've authentically screwed up and how have you bounced back um, and come back. <laughs> I, I guess by screwed up, you mean like on a particular occasion they said something stupid, or a, a, on a project mistake. made a, just a mistake exactly. that was actually their own, and exactly. they can't do anything. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, well, I think yeah. you've got a choice in any situation like that. And there's one case study in the book actually that talks about it um, in terms of, uh, and this this wasn't me, but I could. I, I mean, I've. Uh, but in terms of sex, so this is about someone who um, had uh, basically, I mean the details of it I will spare you, but, but ended up being uh, outed as having had sex with someone else in the office in the most public and embarrassing way. And she, she, she said to us, I just owned it. She said, I just walked in the next day. And I think, I, I think that sort of situation, we basically just... Absolutely advise JDDI, as in just don't do it, right? So, so <laughs> don't do that. 
If, however, it has happened, you've got a choice. And with any big mistake, you've mm. got a choice. You can deny it. You can just go deny, deny, deny. Yeah, that was awful that happened, wasn't it? I wonder what, I wonder what the problem... Right? If you, if you think you can get away with it, why not? Just get over it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Everybody makes mistakes. Or if it's a big mistake, and in this woman's case, um, it was very public, she just walked into the office the next day and said, Andrea, have you heard what happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. And so I think there's that way of doing it as well. I mean, I've always worked, my ultimate boss um, is a guy called Steve, Steve Allen. And I'll tell you what I know about him, I've worked with him for a long time. The very worst thing that I can possibly do is not own up to a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So if the worst thing is not owning up to it, owning up to anything is not that bad. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're in that kind of culture, then you just go and ask for help. Because what you want, where you want to work, and not everyone has this, is you want to work somewhere where you can go to your boss, right, and you can say, I'm really worried about this. And they say, what can I do to help you? Now, we don't all work in those situations. Hopefully, we can all help to create those situations. And certainly, that's the first thing that I would say to someone that worked for me. So if you're in that kind of situation, just own up to it. If you're not, then you've got that choice between, you know. Good advice. Okay, we've got a minute left. We've got chance for one more question. Hi, this question is something I don't think is discussed a lot. And I'd like to get your advice on um, not just being a woman, but as an ethnic minority Mm. sometimes in the workplace, especially where I work is male-dominated. And if there's a job going... They would say, oh, you've got a good chance because you fit all categories. So they bring that quote. <laughs> How charming. Yeah. So, what sort of banter can I throw back to sort of deflect yeah. that? Because I know it usually is because of their insecurities, but yeah. what can I say in an intelligent way that is in two sort of combative? Maybe we can have a quick tip from each, each, each of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't have a a great answer except to say that you're applying for the job because you think you're qualified to do it and um, if you get it then you'll be brilliant at it I just think it you know I just think it comes back to that piece about owning your skills being confident in who you are and you know there's a horrendous stat that women will apply for jobs. If there are 10 um, aspects mm. of the job, women will apply if they have, on average, more than nine, right? <laughs> Men will apply if they have three or more. Um, and so there's something in that sort of just, you know, squaring your shoulders. Yes, I'm applying for the job because I think I'm qualified to do it. You know? so, and start applying when you've got more than five. You know, yeah. don't, let's not wait for nine. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I tend to agree. I'm not sure it's... it's you know, appropriate banter back actually in that situation. I think it's, and, unless you mean by banter back, um, I'm actually applying for this job because I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Because, you know, you're there, you, you've got that job because you're brilliant at what you do, mm-hmm. not because of what you look like or, you know, your, your capacity to, um, you know, uh, make a nice cup of tea. You are there because you're brilliant at what you do and just mm-hmm. tell yourself that every day. And the fact, as I said, I mean, as I say, it's exactly the same as the, uh, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it's the same as all of those other mm-hmm. kind of things. That is what blokes do. That's, that's, that's their natural format is yeah. to wander around insulting each other and I think you just go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm applying for it because I'm brilliant. Mm-hmm. And show results, because results, you know, yeah. spoke mm-hmm. for themselves. So. Mm-hmm. so sometimes you have to break rules. Yeah. So in France, we do a lot, you know, as a women, 
it's uh, something you know even my grandmother told me when I was a four break your rules only break rules because otherwise yes. if you respect everything you will be like a machine so if you want to be unique you, you follow codes but some you twist them I think that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's great. break the rules for yeah. that part yeah. thank you very much and good luck this has been Marie Claire Future Shapers Live in partnership with Neutrogena. Thanks for listening. And be sure to check out the rest of our series, including some tips on how to navigate the world of work from comedian Catherine Ryan. Well, how about our panel discussion that aims to answer that eternal question, is there ever a right time to have a baby?